Um, it is a pleasure to greet you on this day that's been dedicated here in Gainesville Seventh-day Adventist Church to those with disabilities. I'm wondering how many of you are familiar with people who have disabilities. It's alarming to learn how many people in our nation, for that matter, have disabilities. As we read the Gospels, it becomes evident that Jesus has a heart for those with limitations. People that are less than what we sometimes call able-bodied people. And it's beautiful to see the gospel stories unfold where Jesus goes into a town and, and before he leaves that town, every person in that village has had an opportunity to not only experience the grace of God personally, but if there was something about their life or their body or their, their way of thinking or, or maybe even the oppression of evil upon them, that Jesus set them free. And gave them freedom and gave them new life and gave them mobility and gave them the privilege to and dignity to be human again and to reflect the goodness of God. You and I were created in God's image so that we might reflect the image and beauty and goodness of God. Go with me in the Gospels, please. The Gospel of John If you don't have a Bible, lean over with someone who does. And let's read in the Gospel of John. Go with me to chapter 9. I'd like to launch out of that chapter here, our our conversation for today. John chapter 9 is a story about a man, a man born with a disability. This chapter is a little bit long, and so I probably won't read the whole thing, although it would be good for you to um, plow through the whole reading, to absorb the issues and the tension that's in this chapter. I'll highlight just a few points, but I'm going to try to summarize the entire chapter. So indulge me for a few minutes as we open God's Word. As he went along, this is Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I mean, right out of the start of the chapter, we're dealing with some theological and spiritual tension, aren't we? And when we see someone who has limitations, does it sometimes happen to you that you wonder, what have they done that might have caused this? What might have happened to them from somebody else that might have caused this? What limitations in the gene pool has happened that has brought this about? It's not uncommon for us to do that. It's easy to jump in the judgment seat about those who don't function quite like me. I wonder if that's your situation. But notice Jesus' response in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do, what, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Having said this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes and said, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. And then I could see. I mean, think about this. This is just, it, it, it's, almost, it's humorous, it's challenging, it's frustrating. It, there's tension in this story all the way around. And it almost seems as though Jesus is going to do something that's really just going to shock them. He's going to spit on the ground. I mean, think about it. They, first of all, we've got some disciples that got some theology. It's a little unusual. They want to know, okay, did this man sin or his parents? We've got to find where the guilt is in this world so we can understand the cosmic understanding of, of where guilt and shame and salvation and, and all of those things happen. Imagine, that was the culture. And when Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's nothing like that. This man was born this way so that the glory of God might be revealed in his life. And it begs the question, did his life glorify God while he was on the side of the road begging with a cup? Or was God waiting for someone to come alongside and lift this man into a better place of ministry so that the glory of God might be seen in his life? It's easier to think that, well, maybe this is just about this miracle that's going to happen. Well, maybe not. Maybe it was more about what should have been happening all along in this man's life, that he was plugged into a community that, that welcomed him and included him regardless of his disability. Do you hear what I'm, where we're going here, church? I mean, a person with disability, are they included in the body of Christ in all of these things? And yet as this story unfolds, we discover some, some challenges we discover some tension. There's political issues going on here. There's spiritual issues going here. There's theological tension that happens in this story. And in the middle of it all, Jesus makes a mud pie and slaps it on his face and shocks everybody. I, mean, I think Jesus has a sense of humor. I mean, do you, do you find that humorous? That knowing the, the prejudice that's going on in the community... Whether this man sinned or whether he didn't, and surely the rest of the community thought the same, that he would make mud and put it on his face. I mean, if that won't start a story and a rumor going around this town, I don't know what would. I can just see other people putting mud and spit together, right? Just to see if it works, right? But a life has changed. It's radically new. 
And this man now, he's back with his family. And Jesus brings hope and healing to a life and a family and possibly a community by this amazing miracle. I mean, it's what we expect of Jesus. In fact, Jesus announced this early on in his ministry in Nazareth when he wrote, when he said these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was his mission. His mission was to set people free from the infirmities that they had. Infirmities, of course, come in all kinds of shapes and sizes and experiences. Some that cannot walk and some that cannot lift and some that cannot speak and some that cannot hear, some that cannot think well. Do you know someone who has trouble thinking well? They're usually on the sides in the periphery of our community as well as the periphery of our attention. But Jesus is carrying out his mission. He's going to seek and he's going to save. He's going to heal and he's going to forgive. He's going to refresh hearts with hope. He's going to unite families. He's going to restore people from brokenness. He's going to come alongside the lonely. And it's Jesus' intent to glorify God by restoring people with the dignity that God created them to have in the first place. What's amazing about this story is that the community there misses the miracle. And they want to know, who did this? How did this come about? while the context is very different from our culture and our community, they needed to know, in fact, they demanded to know. In fact, there was a, a, a community there. The, 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 my translation calls it, there was the Jews. Now, let's just say they're probably the spiritual leaders of that Jewish community. The Jews took this man to Pharisees, to the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees, who are they? They're the spiritual leaders of the synagogues. While the, while the Sadducees pretty much owned the the temple in Jerusalem and all that happened there. It was the Pharisees who had the greatest influence upon the synagogues dotted all over the the nations of the world. Wherever there were 10 Jewish men together, there could be a synagogue. And And the Pharisees ruled those synagogues, shall we say. They taught everybody what holiness was, how to live for God, how to memorize the Torah, how to prepare for your lives for Sabbath keeping, and all the things associated with Sabbath, what you could do, what you couldn't do, and a whole bunch of rules associated with that. And when Jesus heals this man it happened to be on what day do you think on a sabbath day jesus could have waited till till sunday he could have done it on the day before the sixth day he could have done that but he does it he does it on a sabbath day and and there you go it's like jesus you're just stirring the pot aren't you you're just going to bring it to the community you're going to you're going to bring the gospel in a way that forces people to talk And you're willing to pay the price for it as well. That's what's amazing about the story. And so he heals the man on Sabbath, knowing it's going to create tension. And so the Jews now bring this man to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, and they get into this big discussion. And then the neighbors, you look a little further, the neighbors are saying, well, hey, this was the man that was begging. And others said, no, 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 it only looks like him. 
And so they get the parents involved and say, well, is this your son? They were also members of the synagogue. Is this your son? Um, yes, he is. Well, how did he become healed? And the parents say, well, I don't know. He's old enough. You talk to him. And so they quiz him down again. And he says, look, all I know is a man they call Jesus put mud in my eyes and told me to wash in the pool of Siloam. I did, and I can see. And then they said, well, you're a sinner just like he is. You see, the word had already gone out that if anyone had devotion, watch this now, if anyone showed devotion to Jesus, they would put them out of the synagogue. In other words, they would be excommunicated from the body of God's people. And so this prejudice was already there. We come to the end of this story and they threw him out. They threw him out. So why do I tell you this story? It's amazing. Who can see in the story and who is blind? It's amazing to think that the ones who were whole were the ones that could not see what God was doing in their very midst. And that their prejudice, if you will, got in the way of their ability to see what God was doing. In other words, their preconceived beliefs were determining whether or not God was doing something. Their predetermined beliefs about whether or not certain things could or could not happen on Sabbath and whether Jesus' reputation was true or not. Their preconceived ideas and prejudices kept them from actually understanding and witnessing the miracle of God right in front of them. This is powerful. Jesus said, this man didn't sin. It was for the glory of God. It was for the glory of God. Somehow, these neighbors got into this discussion. And that's where I want to zero in just a little bit with you. Because some in the community said, oh, we, we know who he is. And others said, nah, 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 it just looks like him. And it begs the question, this was a member, this man was a member of their synagogue, wasn't he? He was a member of their synagogue. His parents were members of the synagogue. Do you find it curious that half of the neighbors didn't really know him? That the Jews who brought them to the Pharisees did not know him? And the spiritual leaders of the synagogue did not know one of their own members. Friends, I want you to know that I feel an indictment on me at this moment. Because I don't think I could name five people who have disabilities that are in my church. I have some learning. Because I know 
My life experience tells me that my church has at least 200 people with various kinds of disabilities. At least. Disabilities come in many forms. The American Community Survey identifies various types of disabilities. There's always visual, of course, or the inability to see well uh, or to be able to function. Then there's those who have limited hearing. Uh, Last night, I was in a conversation about this message today and casually learned that someone I work with every day can hear only in one ear. I did not know that. I don't know how I did not know that. But now that I know that, I'm not sure they want anyone to know. I don't know. I want to be sensitive. But now that I know that, I'm going to make sure I'm speaking in a way that they can hear me. Does that make sense? But there's other kinds of disabilities. There's cognitive, the ability to concentrate or even remember or make decisions. Mental, there's physical, emotional limitations. Ambulatory, being able to walk, to be able to go upstairs. Self-care or independent living. This past week, if you don't indulge me another moment, I, a week ago, I drove to Pennsylvania where my parents live. They're both 93 years old. I love them dearly. My mother is undergoing radiation therapy. And my sister's been driving her to the hospital over an hour from their home every day uh, for this treatment, hour one way, and everything that's involved with that. And mom was, I don't know if terrified is the right word, um, but it was pretty tense. And she went for two weeks with my sister, but I drove there to, to help. And so in the third week, mom and I drove to the Geistinger Hospital in Danville, Pennsylvania. Now, mom needed to be in a wheelchair. So we put mom in a wheelchair after we get out of the valet parking. And I begin to wheel her in. And, you know, all this time I thought, oh, you just got to push a wheelchair. What's the big deal, right? That's not a healthy attitude when it comes to wheelchairs. It's so easy to bump something with a wheelchair, you know. And not only that, it's like if, if you're talking to somebody, they're in a wheelchair, they're looking up at you, craning their neck, and it's like, this is what my friend Glenn has taught me. It's like, respect them. Talk to them eye to eye. And so I took mom through the hospital five days that week. And I remember one of those moments, she was um, struggling. And as we came out of the radiation treatment, I, we were on our way towards the exit and I did a sharp turn into the cafe and I bought her a hot drink and a snickerdoodle. You know what a snickerdoodle is? She needed a snickerdoodle. <laughs> she needed some encouragement. And she thought I was going to take her to the car. Then I said, no, 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 no. We're going to go over to this table over here and we're going to have a snickerdoodle together and we're just going to sit. And mom and I sat there together, her wheelchair and me in the chair at the table, and we spent time together. 
and talked about her fears and talked about this realm that she's in of getting radiation treatment and what they have to do to make this thing work and, and the healing that's needed. You know, she was exhausted from those two weeks prior and she didn't think she was going to get through those that last week. And I said, Mom, th- this was Tuesday now, Tuesday. I said, let's, let's, go to, let's go to Walmart. She said, no, I don't have the energy for that. I can't do that. I said, Mom, come on. Let's go get some things at Walmart. What do you need at Walmart? I said, well, I could use X, Y, Z. I said, okay, let's go get it. So I dragged her into Walmart, wheeling her all over the place. And we had a, we had a good time. Wednesday, I said, Mom, we need to pick up a couple items at Weiss Market. That's a big grocery store. Big grocery store. No, no, no. I said, Mom, come on. We got to get this stuff. Thursday, I did it again. On Friday, she said, you know what? I'm feeling much better. I'm feeling much better. Not only that, one of the lumps under her neck disappeared. Radiation? God's mercy? I don't know. But I was learning lessons of coming alongside someone and giving them dignity. It just happened to be my own mother. But I realized that all around me there's many other people who, who don't have an advocate, who don't have someone who loves them in that similar way. And oh, how we can bring dignity and life to people. And here's what I also know. I don't believe that people that have disabilities want to be the center of attention. I don't believe they want to be in that place. But neither do they want to be forgotten. They don't want to be on the side of the road like this man in the story begging for somebody to give him a phone call or invite them out on a Saturday night for some ice cream. And maybe it has more to do with just including them into the body of Christ. I believe, friends, that God is doing a work in those that are recognizing these needs. If there ever there was a champion of, of disability ministries, it's Johnny and friends. You know who Johnny Erickson Todd is, right? What a landmark. What an amazing transformation. And uh, our own WIDA here is, is benefiting from that training. But there's a champion in this room that came with me. His name is Glenn Mather. And Glenn has been inviting me for, uh, I don't know, Glenn, three years maybe? Maybe four? Maybe five? Come on, Tim. Hey, come on, um, get involved. Uh, go with me uh, on, a, on a distribution. A distribution of what? Hey, I've got this ministry. It's called Chair the Love. I didn't even quite in, take it in yet. Chair the, chair, the, chair the what? I don't know. It takes time for this cold heart to warm up. But Glenn finally got through to me this year. And he said, come on, come with me to Mexico, to Guadalajara. We're going to deliver wheelchairs. And he said, look, just here's how you do it. I said, okay. And I said, okay, can I take my son? He said, yes, bring your son. So my son Andrew and I, we got on a plane and we met Glenn and we ended up in Guadalajara, September 1 of this year. And we met with a bunch of other really cool people connected with a Rotary Club there. That's a fun group of people in Mexico, let me assure you. I'll let Glenn tell those details if he wants to. But there's a fun bunch of people in Guadalajara in the Rotary Club. And then we gathered, we organized, and we went out to a place that was already set up. And we distributed wheelchairs to people. 
And I witness people's lives change in an hour. People who did not have a wheelchair carried in and given their very first wheelchair. A man in one of those distributions was in, in his 40s and he was getting his very first wheelchair. Others with no legs. Others that had other kinds of ambulatory difficulties. And the amazing thing that happened in that community, watching Glenn and his wife Lloyda and others that were on that trip, another man named Augie and Audrey, who have just put their soul into this ministry. And it was so transforming, so beautiful to see what can happen when people are given a wheelchair and suddenly dignity is what's ruling the moment. Now, Glenn will tell you that he wasn't always as ready to jump into something like that. And so I I invited Glenn to tell the story. Glenn, please join me here. Tell us the story of how God opened up your heart and what is now Chair the Love. Oh, what, a, what an amazing story. Uh, and thank you so much, Pastor Tim and Pastor Ben. And this church has just felt so warm since I walked in the back to all of you. Thank you so much for sharing our Sabbaths together. Um, yeah, you know, we become aware of things kind of... It's God's time would be probably when you're about two. My time was when I was about 42. Sometimes it takes a lot longer for us. Now, how I got involved in this is it's strange. Just, I don't have anyone in my family, thankfully, that's disabled only to the last couple of days of my mom's life. Was she in a wheelchair? She said, how did, I get in, how did I get involved? Well, the most seductive two words that you can have when someone's trying to get you to do something is say, join me, <laughs> right? It's not do this, do that. It's join me. And I got someone that did a join me. Join me on a distribution. We're going to go to Mexico City. And we're going to give away 280 wheelchairs. So that's, that sounds kind of like fun. I like to travel. It never even hit me what this was going to be like. So we landed in that enormous city, went to the city square the next morning at 10 o'clock. 280 chairs. That's enough that all goes in a container. You know, they're made overseas. They're shipped to the country. And the school kids were putting them together, which was a lot of fun. And... Uh, So they all stacked up, 280 brand-new red chairs. And then I looked around the corner. There was these tables, very organized. And then there was 280 families waiting in line. That was a sight I couldn't believe. Because people were being carried. They they had some of the most innovative wheelchair systems I could ever imagine, you could imagine. In a third world country, I mean, there there were patio chairs, white patio chairs where people had drilled four holes to put little um, lawnmower tires on so they could push them, sit down. Get up, push them, and sit down, and this is how they moved. A lot of people use skateboards. That was, for a lot of the kids, That's they sat on the skateboard. They didn't have legs. They pushed themselves with wooden blocks. This is what we saw. But every one of them had their best clothes on they had, and the smiles were big. They sat in the hot sun for three hours, and slowly by slowly we gave them the chairs And this ministry has really changed my life, and it's changed so many other people's lives. Because what I like about it, to me, you know, I'm I'm that guy, you you know, know your your last part of your slogan, church slogan is go, right? 
I always start at the go, and then I try to figure it out later. You know, people like me. So I'm always anxious to go, but what's really great about when you give away a wheelchair, it forces you to get down on your knees once that person's in the chair and adjust their foot pegs, adjust the chair, and it puts you right there on eyes, and, and it, you can't help but cry. So you cry, and of course they start crying, and it's even worse, and then they're hugging you and telling you what an angel you are when you know really who you are, and it's not an angel. <laughs> And you don't deserve any of this, so you go back home after this. It's so intense. You have to you take pictures and videos, and then you kind of adjust to it. When you get home, you say, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. An impact of be, getting a wheelchair isn't enough. How can I get more people involved? And so as I was starting my business, I had failed. Uh, you know, 9-11 happened. The towers went down. I had to change everything I was doing. I had a family of three. We moved to Florida, and what an amazing place Central Florida is to live. I, I've never seen such a welcoming community for us and our family. And so I felt that God was saying, yeah, you can build something that's profitable and feeds your family, but what about building something for me too? So let's do it alongside. And so I was convinced and convicted since somebody said join me to create the charity that I did, and it's been a blessing. We've given over 5,000 chairs and and it, it's changed my life. I know what it's done for them. All right, it is absolutely revolutionary lives. But the story isn't so much about my charity. I, I think it's more about a journey. And I'm going to tell it through two two people's eyes, if you if you don't mind. Do I have enough time? Sure. Sure. All right. You see, Lewis. Does he up have on, enough time? I thought so. <laughs> you see, Lewis is here. Lewis is 27 years old. He has cerebral palsy. Has had it since two years old. When you go into these countries, they don't have the healthcare system we do. Ours might be screwed up a little on the insurance side. Believe me, they don't have access to anything what we do. And so, so they have a lot of childhood diseases, and his was one. Went into her house. You see behind them that there's some vegetables and stuff. That's how the family makes a living. They have a card table or two out there, and they sell that to people that pass along the street. This is the grandmother. The mother can't work because she has full time taking care of him. But the unusual thing is when we do these distributions, it's usually like 100 chairs at a time. It's a big deal. This time I got to go into somebody's house, and it made all the difference in the world because I met Lewis. So we were taken to the back bedroom. Lewis is there. I've never seen an adult-sized crib. That's what he stayed in, a crib, because he had to be kept separated. He'd fall off the bed, 27 years old. Once a week, his dad would carry him out, sit him on one of those white plastic chairs out in front of his house, where he is now, and he could watch traffic, and that was fun for him. He couldn't communicate. The only way he could communicate is the most important way that we can communicate. And once we get all these masks off, we're going to be seeing everybody's face, because look at Lewis's face. And it was frozen when we met him. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like his eyes were around. He realized he's part of a bigger world. And we were able to do that with Lewis. But the key takeaway from him, and I have hundreds of stories, I can't remember them all, but here's what we did. We took somebody that was invisible to everybody, mm. and now he's visible. He's part of the community. He can go to church. He can go, go to the community. He can go to the market. Um, we help so many people that now have a vocation. They couldn't do that before. But my tie, nothing magical happened. Don't wait till something magical happens to you to realize where you fit in. I've got a chance now to meet. So I actually chased down wheelchairs to go have a conversation with them. I know that's weird. I'm probably considered weird because so many people avoid it. They don't avoid it because they're mean. They avoid it because it feels awkward. 
And they're just like us. They're just like, they're, they're just like you. The conversations, the concerns, they're not smarter, they're not dumber. They're not taller, they're not shorter. Well, they're a little shorter in the chair. But, but the whole point is they have all the dreams and desires and they don't want, they don't want any sympathy. You know what they want? Empathy. And empathy is something we have to grow and we have to get down on our knees and ask God to give it to me because I didn't have it enough. And he taught me through this experience that you've got to start to feel it and then go, right? You've got to feel it and go. And, you know, having, having Tim and his son, um, Pastor Goff and his son come was amazing. We had a few other people come from the conference office. And God really blessed us on this trip. We traveled, I think I've been to 11 countries doing this, and we're just getting started. And, but what I'm telling you is my journey can be your journey. You can create something within this community and with this church. You have great leadership. You've got a lot of passion that's building in this church. Don't let them behind. I had not heard that sermon before, and I tell you, it touched me. It touched me about all the people that are around us that we don't notice and we don't understand. But reach out and realize that God is giving you the gift of being normal. We don't view that as anything. I'm just normal. That's a massive gift to so many people. So thanks for the time up here, Tim. And, and God bless your continued focus on this. And God bless this church. Thank you. Glenn, thank you very, very Take that with you. Take, thank you, Glenn, very much for sharing. And if you want to learn more about Chair of the Love, just... Just Google that and look at the pictures and you'll see some amazing transformation that has taken place in some of those countries. I plan to go on another trip. We've got one. In fact, I understand the Forest Lake Academy is planning just such a trip. And I um, might want to look for some details on that. Um, <clears throat> Glenn did not want this to sound like a commercial. And uh, he's done very well at that. <laughs> It's not intended to be that. He's not here to raise funds or try to launch something, but rather to tell the story of what God did in his heart and how transformation has come about and the fruitfulness of that is profoundly affecting other lives. And it's with that hope and prayer that as, as you as a church family devote budget as well as volunteer time to forming a ministry for the disabled or disabilities ministry, that you'll do your homework about who's missing, who are we not seeing, who's part of us that, that we, we have not really welcomed or included. You know, one of the beautiful things about this sanctuary, the first day I walked in it, it was been several years ago, was to see this wheelchair ramp over here, or just to make it easier for people to participate here on the platform. That is so beautiful. And it is a very huge testimony of your hearts. I want to close with giving a description, an added description of the Seventh-day Adventist Church as I understand it. If you've taken Bible studies, if you've been to an evangelistic series, if you've prepared yourself for baptism or you've done your theology on the purpose and place of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the world, you know that God has raised this church up at a time crucial to the ages. It gave birth in the 1840s and later in the 60s and has become the church that we're a part of now, called with a mission and a purpose and a message to the remnant in the last days. You know the message, right? Revelation 14, 6 through 12, that there is a judgment hour 
And that the gospel message is to go to all the world. And a warning to those who would reject it over and over again. To appeal to them. To bring them in. To please come join God's people. And experience the grace of God. Because Jesus is coming. Therein lies the heart and purpose of the Seventh-day Adventist Church today. Now we have given many sermons and many descriptions of what the remnant church looks like, what it believes, what it, what it rejects, what it holds to, and what it lets go of. The remnant church has a purpose and a plan. But I assure you, never once have I read what I'm going to tell you now as a description of the remnant church. And it comes right from the Gospels. It doesn't come from me. Because Jesus gave a, gave a parable of the great banquet being prepared for God's people and the last days. You know the story of the banquet? He sent his servants out to invite them to the banquet. And he sent them out and he said, go bring them. And, he, and they came back and they said, we're telling people to come, but, but, the, but they're not coming. And he said, well, go out there and tell the whoever's out there. It's in Matthew chapter 22. I'll just read a quick moment from it. Matthew chapter 22 Jesus said this, go out into the field and, and, and gather them together. And so the servants went out into the streets and the people they could find to, they, to invite both the good and the bad. Get that. Invite both the good and the bad, he said. I don't even know what that means today. But to invite the good and the bad. And the king came in to see the guests and, and, and there's this huge banquet. He said, go get some more. And this story is also told in Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 14 of this great big banquet. And he sent them out to get some and they came back and they didn't have enough people. And he, and, and the man got angry and he sent them out, go quickly into the streets and into the alleys in the town and bring, watch this now, bring the poor, the crippled, that's NIV by the way, the blind and the lame. Friends, I would submit to you that one of the descriptions of the remnant people of God is a church that reaches out to all kinds of people to come to the banquet. Bring them all, the good, the bad, whatever their situation is, invite them in. Come and join me. Come and join us. It's the message it's a message to Nathaniel. Come and see. Come and see. It's such an easy thing to do to invite someone to lunch or to a Christmas party or to the drive in Bethlehem at the camp or maybe out for a hot drink. And a snickerdoodle. Just acknowledge that there's another person. I see you. And you matter. One of the books I'll be sharing with some folks this afternoon is called Disabilities in the Church, written by Lamar Hardwick. And I just want to share, conclude with a quote from that book. He writes, I believe that what the disability community most needs from the church in order to feel welcomed and valued is a church that intentionally includes them in being image bearers of God. This is the primary reason for the mission of diversity. So God created humankind in His image and in the image of God He created them. No exceptions. No exemptions. When God created each human life 
He created a life that carries in it the capacity to reveal the image of God. Oh, we're missing something if we don't invite everyone to the banquet. I pray that together, here in Gainesville, a new light will begin to flourish that sees all people and that God gives us a new clarity for those on the edges, those that need an invitation, and for those that are well-equipped to come and join us in what God is doing. And together we'll praise Him for their fruitfulness because the glory will be all to Jesus. May God bless you.